Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they're not experts on. Well, sometimes we buck the trend. Yes, yes. The last episode, I'm definitely an expert on that. And I believe in this episode, you are an expert on what you're about to, you're a recent expert on what you're about to talk about. I'm a budding expert. Mm -hmm. I'm learning a lot about it. And actually, I would really like to (laughs) leech the books that you have been reading because my God... They are going to be helpful with my next stand-up show. And by next, I mean next, next stand-up show. I'm not even passionate about the next one that's coming up. It's the one after that that I'm just so consumed by. So 2022, you're talking? 2023. Damn, you were planning this out. I know. Dude, well done. I... I don't know how it happened, but you know what it is? It's because mine are just funny lectures. So I don't have to yeah. do your little tight fives and things. You just go up, you do it 20 times, you get rid of all the jokes that don't work. And you know what else? I don't know if you agree with this, Neil, but you know what I think is something that really helps Dave Chappelle? It's actually the serious moments in his show. Now, I know that we were saying before <laughs> that it's just like, you know, the tragedy, I'm feeling sorry for me, but there's a thing that you overdo it, right? But if you just put in a little five-minute segment in your show to give everyone a break for a second and then bring it back because I feel like that that's actually what happens when I do a lot of those shows. It's just like nonstop laughs for 60 minutes. Yeah, It's kind okay. of like getting cotton candy. It's like too much. Yes and no. I Dave Chappelle's earlier specials, he never did that. No, he did. He'd make one point, but it wouldn't be five minutes of being serious the way he's doing that recently. No. Well, no it's not five minutes now. Now it's now fucking it's, half an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no jokes in it. No, he just I mean, fucking it, gets up and rants. The one in 2020 was just... That wasn't stand-up. No. I don't know what that is. I'm personally that not a fan. That was him whining. Yeah. I mean, he's now just Dave Chappelle, the, the social commentator. Yeah. Because I don't... He's still a comedian, but it's part of his arsenal. But the, the what we were talking about previously is comedian isn't even part of those people's arsenal. They can't even be funny. No. But like obviously that's the main point of a comedy show. It's definitely that. It's like what I've what I've noticed is that like you have a little breather in the middle where you're kind of serious and you bring it back. Yeah, that can work. I, I also because one hour is a long time for consistent laughter you you need to it's i feel like it's just like diminishing returns yeah you that's need, what happens you need to have a sort of journey of sorts or a, or a lull to some degree but i don't have i don't have a serious five minutes i'll have maybe some sort of longer jokes or you know uh heavier jokes stories that don't have the frequency of punchlines. but i don't i don't do the I'm going to be very candid and serious now and talk. Because I think that you're thinking every time of like that person just being like, do you, do you understand how fucked over I've been by my parents? Like that is always going to suck ass, but that's always just because it's insular. But like with my new stand-up show that I'm doing now, which is about uh, the propaganda model, yeah, there's just parts in it where I'm just like, no, I actually really need to explain this. And I can't lose momentum with jokes. Like I really need to hone into people why this is like very fucking significant and important. But what you do is a, it's not just a comedy show. Like you say, it's a- Yeah, yeah. It's a lecture with jokes. It's a hybrid. Mm. 
I read comedy. But in lecture, we're, I'm not using it in the, the disparaging mic. term. I'm using yeah. it as in like this is what professors at university would be talking about. But you've got like a bunch of fucking shots of Rove live in it, just as, <laughs> you know. Like. Yeah, I got yeah. But with some self help as well. With some self help, that also is in there. And but yeah, like so. So what's your topic for 2023? First of all, what's your because t- you're doing Julius Caesar now or Julius Caesar next year? I'm doing Julius Caesar for 2023. I'm oh. doing. I think that's it. It's just because the last year I was just so obsessed with how much we're getting screwed over by not investing in green technology. So, it is truly a crime to future generations about how much it'll damage our economy. And what's your show for 2022? That's that one. The 2022 one is just like Australia could be the next Saudi Arabia okay, of yeah, the yeah. 21st century. That's what it's about. It's just like it's unbelievably dumb for us not to be aiming for that. Um, and it's just a long, hour-long explanation of how dumb it is. So I think I'm just kind of done with it. I've focused on it too much. Now I'm just focusing on Julius Caesar, and I guess it's just the point where you're just reading a lot of books about it. The one that I highly recommend is Michael Parenti's. And it's so interesting because it's just like, as he says at the beginning of the book, ancient history is not ancient. It's just the same shit. Like... The same themes, yep. the same struggles. Ancient Rome is a really good comparison because I suppose our societies were kind of set up on their model yep. in Western civilization. And so you just see, I'll give you some really good examples. Okay, back then there was kind of two consuls and there was two tribunes. They were So in a way there were sort of like four presidents, but there'd be kind of like two presidents for the rich mm-hmm. and two presidents for the poor. That was how it worked out. There was a lot of struggles that okay. amassed into that being the end result, right? But the tribunes, for instance, because they were representing the poor, did not have the money to run. So what did they do? They went to donors. And the donors back then were obviously wealthy fucking farmers or wealthy merchants and importers, but people that were really consuls and they just wanted tribunes there because they had certain laws that they needed passed by the tribunes, right? So virtually everyone that was a tribune would be seeking patronage from wealthier people like they do in a presidential nomination now, right? Mm. And how were the the tribunes democratically elected? Mm. Because Rome went through, first it was a... Monarchy, then it was a republic, then it was an empire. empire. Mm. And, yeah, this was just during the republic. Um, So the tribunes would be getting money and being funded by people that were running for consulship or just people that were in the Senate because that's where the really, really rich people would preside. And what they would be running on is so similar to what you see presidential candidates in the US run on now. It was never about substance, ever. It was about leadership skills. I've held these offices before, and therefore I'm well prepared for the role of tribune. It was school captain shit. And uh-huh. then when you watch like the Democratic primaries, right, isn't there such a massive difference between what Bernie Sanders is talking about and then Kamala Harris and Biden? And, yeah. and all they're fucking talking about is leadership, what offices they've held, what's fucking... Uh, like uh, Joe Biden's whole fucking pitch was really just being like, I've been here the longest. I've been here the longest. Yeah. 
I, I know what it takes to be president. I was in the office when those decisions were made. It's all about his experience. Mm. So it's just amazing that all of these kind of forces just keep repeating the same things. Another point that was really interesting was the elite class used to get have like Greek slaves come over that were just like really educated philosophers and they teach them the art of oratory. And then Julius Caesar came along and everyone was saying what an effective speaker he was. The real difference before that was that oratory was kind of just constantly trying, the, the, the whole skill of it was to constantly just conjure up in the mind of people like really general feelings of like, you know, liberty or uh, I don't know, tyranny is approaching upon Rome. It was those kind of ideas. And then fucking Julius Caesar would come along and just be like, look, you know, there's 300,000 people on the, the grain dole and they're all on the grain dole because they've been pushed out of the farms because these people have amassed before, like the rich class would have like 11% of the land around Rome and now they have 95% of the land. And so all those people have come into the cities and now they're on the fucking dole. You know, like he was just using facts. And that was revolutionary at the time. No one ever thought to fucking do that. And it was because, like what we were talking about in the previous podcast, when the elites are sitting in their own stew, they kind of just start making... Really, they're just positioning for like little school captain roles within that structure. They're not actually running for office to change anything. And so really what they're doing is just having this little wank fest and that used to be public debates. And so no one would go and then Julius Caesar would come up and then all of a sudden you've got tens of thousands of people listening to this guy because he's actually talking about something that's fucking relevant to their lives. And it's just Mm. amazing that you're seeing the same fucking things happen over and over. And yeah. Was the Tribune, sorry, was the Tribune from the um, working class? Yeah, well, they were supposed to be, but a lot of the time there would be people that would just lie about it so that they could get the role. But usually you had to have, they they were supposed to be representing the plebeians and they were supposed to be from the plebeian class. Can you also just uh, outline the the, the structure of Roman politics during its... Republic period? Well, pretty much there was just public assemblies and that's where a lot of the reformers would go and they try and get laws passed there. But pretty much public assemblies, I guess you could kind of think of them as a really rudimentary, all of this is rudimentary, right? Like it's not the same as it is now, but uh, the foundations are there. I guess the public assemblies would be closest to the House of Representatives now. Um, you could go there, the public could vote on things. But even in that area, that was counting on that you were fucking rich enough to take time off of work to go and vote in the first place on all of these mm. things that were put towards there. So usually they'd just be stacked with a bunch of the oligarch slaves that he'd just like free because slaves weren't allowed to vote, but free men were. Mm. Um And so there was just a bunch of those like little tricks that would happen in there. And then like the Senate, which is what it is today and has always been throughout all of democratic history. And I think it's just a complete fucking con. The Senate is there and pretty much to get into the Senate, there was kind of like two factions, I suppose. They made it that anyone could get in there, but really you had to be unbelievably wealthy to get into the Senate. And the Senate, pretty much just on virtually every decision there was, 
uh, could just yay or nay anything. And so they just nay anything that was against their interests and their interests were, it's really interesting the hundred years that led up to Julius Caesar. All around Italy, there was public land that used, used to be able to rent from the treasury and that was there designed to make sure that there was always going to be food available for the citizens of Rome. Um, and that, you know, that people could have like a substantive living and live out on the land and there'd be food production in Italy. Then what happened is because of empire expansion, food production in Italy wasn't as necessary. It was still really necessary. But what happened is these people started realizing, oh, there's all this fertile land here, all the, 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 the wealthy what we're going to do is we're going to lie about how poor we are. We're going to get our slaves free and we're going to expand how much of this public land that we can have. Because I think you got allotted like 300 and something acres. And so, but then all of a sudden they'd have, you know, fucking a thousand slaves. And so they'd have 300,000 acres or whatever, right? And so they were eventually just pushing all of the substantive farmers out into Rome. That's why Rome's cities explode. The population of Rome exploded. It was the first... Um, city to reach a million and was the only one to reach a million until London in 1850 or something. Gosh. So it was such an advanced society. My goodness. Yeah. Wow. Um, a lot of that was to do with the fact that they got the fundamentals right. Like they had garbage disposal and they had uh, running water. They understood basics of how to maintain a city. It wasn't pretty. Like for the average person that was living in Rome, it was Fuck, it sounded terrible. Like, usually you'd be in an apartment, but an apartment back then was pretty much just a clay cave that was stacked on top of one another. Yeah. And you would be in a f with three other families sometimes in, like, this hovel that had nothing. It wouldn't have any running water. There'd be public toilets down, but it wouldn't have any running water. There would obviously be no electricity. It'd just be a horrible living. And... You know, what kept happening was that these people just kept coming in because they were pushing them out because of all the land that they were accumulating. And then when they got in there, then the Senate realized, oh, there's all these people here that we can exploit again. So we're just going to start charging outrageous rents for these areas, for, for these slums. And then they went even further and, you know, there was no building codes or anything like that. So the apartments would fucking collapse all the time. And just, you know, you'd kill fucking, I don't know, 100 people that were living in it or whatever. And that was just common occurrence. In fact, we've got mm. a letter from Cicero being like, two of my apartments fell in on each other. There's no mentioning of the people that are killed in it. And just being like, and a lot of people was saying that it was poor for me in the Senate. But what they don't know is we're about to pass a law where the, the taxpayer would be subsidizing these apartments that were broken so there was like an incentive to make sure that your fucking apartments that you were building were shit so they'd collapse in on each other damn you know like it was, it was that fucking corrupt wow i know it was corrupt and it was like they, they were much smarter they were an extremely advanced society oh for goodness. the time yeah well, and so how many senators were there and 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 you know were they representing particular geographic areas or no there was hundreds i think there was hundreds now i can't remember it might have been three or five hundred. Oh wow um i'll have to double check how many senators there were actually i'm kind of talking out of my ass for that but there was i have the feeling that there was hundreds of senators in there they weren't really representing areas though they would be assigned governorships so you would want to be getting into the inner circle of 
power that was the Senate because if you ended up being a governor in a far-off province, you could just rake it for all it was worth, and they did. The provinces of the empire, extremely oppressive taxes, and it depended on the governor, obviously. Sometimes there would be a genuinely good governor that would go there. For to Cicero's credit, for instance, it seemed like he was actually a pretty good governor when he was made a governor. But Caesar, for instance, one of the first acts that he did was just recall all of these corrupt governors that had just been in a province for ages, just like milking the fucking place dry and then replacing them with administrators that were actually going to run that part of the empire properly, you know? Um, so that was like a big point of it. But usually the people that were in the Senate were, as is always the case, as is the case now, it's the same con over and over again. I swear to God, it's always like, 30 families. Back then, there would have been hundreds of thousands of plebeians. There would have been a small middle class of merchants and some professionals that were absolutely necessary, I suppose, to keeping it running, like bureaucrats and things like that. And then there would be about 2,000 people that would be members of the elites that would be in these huge estates outside of Rome that would have thousands of slaves on them. And they'd just be toiling those once public lands for their own and this is the other thing as well right like because as soon as they got there they'd just be like well olive oil sells more than carrots do so i'm just going to make olive oil so it was just all of these products that were being put on the land that wouldn't make money um i'm sorry wouldn't make food so rome started to starve and so they'd have to get shipping grain from fucking egypt that the taxpayer would have to pay for dude same fucking ruse every time the, the point that I'm getting at here is the reason I really feel like there is a reason that everybody in the West hates the idea of tyrants and dictatorships. And it's just, a, it's a tale as old as Rome. The same boogeyman was there in ancient Rome. They were constantly trying to feed into the public this fear of a tyrant or a king emerging and it was better that we had this democracy where everybody was represented. You've got your tribunes. They represent the plebs, don't they? Don't mention anything about the fact that those tribunes were always just implanted by the fucking Senate. And don't mention anything about the fact that you are now homeless living on the streets of Rome. Um, and if you're lucky, you've just got this huge fucking debt above your head, which was insane. Like the average debt was 12%. And then they started passing laws. 12% is just fucking insane anyway. 12% interest is just fucked to begin with. But then they started charging 50%. No one did anything. Couldn't do anything. It was because it's the same thing as always. I really think that the enemy of every society is not a tyranny. It's an oligarchy. It's always just a few shadowy cunts that are sitting in the background that have skewed society so that they can just get fat off it. And I don't really care what the special labeling and branding that you put on it is. Like here, for instance, it has always been in ancient Rome and is now. Don't you think that free speech is sacrosanct to our society? Like it's always something that it's just like it's off the table. And any society that doesn't have our high standards of free speech, they're an evil, less developed society, Right. But that is exactly what the, the, the ruse was in Rome. It was like, yeah, yeah, you can talk. You've got your right to say whatever you like, but can you afford to get into the amphitheaters to have your voice heard? Can you print out the very few fucking books that were made there? Did you have the money to do that? You know, like it, it's like free speech is really closely associated with money. It always has been. 
So why is there this constant emphasis on free speech in our society? Why is there this constant emphasis of liberty on our society? Because, you know, it was the senator's right to take all of this land around Rome. That was part of the liberty. But then when uh, other senators would be like, no, this is fucked. Like, you've just created this massive underclass in Rome that has just choked the city and you've made all these people extremely poor. We're going to allocate that land back to the people that you squeezed out. No, that's an encroachment on freedom. That's an encroachment on freedom because why are you using the power of the state to make me fucking make decisions, you know? Like, it's always the same thing. It's just like, if you have the money in a free society, you are going to be a hell of a lot more free than someone who doesn't have money. So what's the solution then? Dude, I'm telling you, it's the same thing that happened with fucking Caesar. It was like, look, and and people are always just freaking out when I talk about this shit, right? And I don't really know because I'm trying to grapple with it myself. Do you think a dictatorship is a is a better form of governance? You look is at that- the living standards. Every dictatorship, unless it's imposed by the US, which you can just see as, I guess, like a corrupt governor of today, really. Uh-huh. You know? But if you see like a nationalist dictator that rose up, you will see living standards skyrocket. Like it's the same thing that happened What's- in Saddam Hussein, okay. right? Like they'll say he was oppressive. Yeah, he was oppressive, but he also increased education and health standards for the population. He made sure that there was like a lot more public housing that was getting built. You know, like it's it's like I think that what happens, the whole point of an oligarchy is to make sure that like society is just fucking frozen. And slowly declines. But, I mean, the the West, as we know it today, has always had that similar form of governance, hasn't it? Yeah. And it's always had quite high living standards. Yeah. So, doesn't that show that it, you don't need a dictator to achieve that level of living standards? Maybe. But here's the other thing as well, right? Like, I'll just, I'll make this qualification about dictatorships. Like, because mm. I really want to... I really don't know what I think about it anymore, but I'm just seeing that, like, there is a consistent pattern about oligarchies that just describe themselves as democracies, right? Sulla was a dictator. So, what happened... Sorry, I've just got to give this explanation of, like, the sure. the 100 years leading up to it, because that's what really started to trigger it, is them just putting all of this land into their fucking hands. It's always the same thing. The same thing throughout all of history. Who owns land? They're the rich ones, right? But, like, uh, pretty much for that hundred years, there was some senators that were in there that had some empathy for the plebeians of the society, right? And they were always trying to impose something. And the bill just kept getting watered down. Uh, Originally, it was just, like, allocation of land. That didn't work because the senators would just pay for death squads to go around and kill all of their supporters and mm-hmm. themselves sometimes as well, some of the senators. Uh, there was no police force back then. Um, so pretty much whoever had the biggest gang ruled. And some of these senators would just buy 300 gladiators and get them to do their dirty work, you know? So, so doesn't, that, doesn't that say whether it is an oligarchy or a dictatorship, if they truly do believe in, in you know, helping the people under them, it doesn't matter whether there's a club of people who have the power or one person who might have the power. True, but the thing is that what happened to them, every one of them was fucking murdered. Throughout that hundred years period, they were all murdered. 
or driven out of Rome. That was the other thing. Sometimes they'd be like, this shit's getting too deep and they'd have to leave. So they'd be watering it down. The next lot of reformists would be like, okay, you have to give the land back to the peasants that you have, uh, you know, taken your land grabs on. But they have to pay you for the land. But even that was too much, you know? Like, so the land that you stole, they have to pay you back for. Can we just pass that reform? Is that not good enough? No, you can't do that. That guy was fucking murdered. Just kept going like that. Then it came to Julius Caesar and then he just realized, fuck, if I'm going to get anything done, I am going to have to invade Rome. I'm going to have to bring an army here and force about some substantive change. Can we go back before the Republic? What what was it like before it became a very wealthy city? How did it become so wealthy was it just a constant expansion of the empire yeah and then yeah yeah okay that was definitely the thing that happened like they will say that it was because um uh you know it, it turned into a republic and so it had these principles that men were willing to die for uh-huh. there might be some truth to that but i think the real reality of it was it was positioned in a place uh they they kind of always had like this Greece always had this snobbery about them that they knew what was best where Romans were kind of like their poorer cousins and so they used to always look at Spanish helmets for instance and think okay those work better than ours let's use them and you know swords from Gaul are pretty good let's use them whereas Greece would just have this arrogance about themselves that they were that so it was just like it was I think there was like a cultural thing that helped them and also it was just like a nice period in history where there wasn't too much conflict about Italy that allowed them to expand to begin with. Um, but look, when it turns into turning into a republic, it's the same thing that happened when uh, the British got the Magna Carta signed. It wasn't, you know, the working class versus the king. It was the aristocracy versus the king. That's really what was happening when they were getting rid of all of their kings. It was just, uh-huh. there was, again, wealthy landowners that were thinking, no, this king's not representing my personal interests enough. And so they created that. And I think that what from what I can see, more shit can get done when there's an emperor in charge than there is when there is a senate. When there is a senate, all that happens is you have a bunch of people constantly quibbling over power trying to consolidate more power to themselves. The aim of the game for them is to make sure that society is just paused because they've set up all the rules for them to win, right? So they don't want Uh anything to change. That's why they have the Senate. The Senate is just sitting there to veto everything. And and a country, uh, sorry, a country that is like, you know, uh, stagnant, just starts to slowly decline, which is exactly what happened in Rome. Like the the level of corruption that it got to by the time that Julius Caesar was there is just even even to today's standards, it's truly fucking phenomenal what they were getting away with. You know what I mean? Like just setting up a scheme where mm. if your building collapsed, you were paid taxpayer money. Unfathomable. That's just yeah. one example. There's a million of them. You know, would. If they ensured a way for the plebeians to actually participate in the democratic process, do you think it would have been better? Well, that's what was the struggle for 500 years up until that point. That was just this slow democratization of the republic. But 
really at the end of it, it just showed that no, like any time there was some advancements and there were advancements in those hundred years, little nibbling around the edges, basic, basic things like uh, how about if you're going to get executed, you at least need to go to trial. That was fought over a hundred years. Before that, you could just have a death squad that would come in and kill you. And if you were part of the Senate, then they'd just be like, well, he's a noble man. He must have done it for noble reasons and could just murder whoever the fuck they wanted. Um, mm. But then what happened? They installed Sulla, who was a dictator that the Senate wanted in. And you read all of the literature about Sulla to this day. He's not even seen as a dictator. He's seen as a man that was called to arms at a point of emergency to make sure that the Republic remained firmly in the grasp of the fucking oligarchy really is what the reason that he was instilled. Um, and so like you, you, you read anything that he's saying, and it's just like, you know, the, the, the biggest criticism you'll get is from someone like Cicero who will just be like, I think he was excessive in certain parts, but you know, overall it was pretty noble. His excessiveness, by the way, was just going into Rome and fucking murdering a million, uh, sorry, 10,000 people. Um, anyone that was remotely linked to a union, anyone that was remotely linked to a senator that was part of that populare wing, which was the senators that tried to represent the people, all of those people were just murdered. Julius Caesar just snuck out of that really through a combination of luck and the fact that he was like 15 at the time. So Sulla just didn't give that much of a fuck about him, but he would have definitely have had his throat slit. Like he was part of that class and he came back, but you know, you go through history now and you see Caesar who wanted to implement things like, you know, we're not, it, it's illegal to charge 50% interest on, um, on, on like on loans. The other thing that they also implemented is that if you defaulted on your loans back then, you essentially became a slave to your loan holder. He made that illegal. Uh, he did basic things like, hey, you know, the, the slums are flooded every year from the Tiber. Let's divert the Tiber a little bit. Like all of these changes, all of these uh, oppressive, corrupt governors, he made them come back to Rome and answer for their crimes and replace them with other ones. It was just a guy that was making the fucking place run properly. He was put in there. But you read about him throughout history, tyrant, absolute tyrant. And it's because the people that are writing the history are the oligarchs. They were the ones that were educated enough to write history. They're all friends and family of senators. And so they write up Sulla as just being like this, you know, savior of the Republic. And Julius Caesar is destroying it but the reality of this situation really is that like if it wasn't caesar it would have collapsed under its own weight at some point you can't just keep squeezing society like that and it not collapse yeah okay so so so, so you really think that just democracy liberal democracy is just a all the ide ideals of it, you know, freedom and being part of the democratic process and each individual has a say. It's all just a giant ruse for, for an oligarchy to maintain power. But yeah, is it really the case that all di dictatorships would operate better for working and middle-class people? Or is it just a matter of 
corruption, whether it's a, a, a senator or a dictator, if the dictator is corrupt, wouldn't they just want to sit there in their palace? And surely there's also examples of kings and dictators that were hedonists and didn't care about the people. Yeah, there's absolutely. There's so many examples of that. But I'm saying that you probably have a better shot of getting shit done under that because if they want to do something, they do it. If you want to do something in a democracy, all that happens is you just get weighed in by a bunch of different interests until you just get crushed by the weight of it and nothing happens. Like Bill Maher was actually making this point recently in a video that he did about China versus the US. And he was just saying China built a hospital in a week to combat COVID. Mm. In the US, we've been arguing over light speed rail for fucking 40 years and still can't do it because there's like 200 lawsuits on it. That's the difference between an oligarchy and a dictatorship, really. Like, it's just like things get done. I think that's the, that's, that's the main difference that I'm just like constantly trying to churn in my head. And I think that really when it comes to Western democracy, look, there might be a lot of things that I'm uh, poo-pooing about the process and, and probably am. Um, but I just want people to be aware of this. The ideals that you have in your head are as old as Rome. And it's just like when we sit there and we're like, oh yeah, communism didn't work in Russia and like they, you know, it sounds good, but the reality isn't the same. It's the same here. Like the, the, the ideas are different to the reality. That's the point. But the living standards are, were better in the West than they were in Soviet Russia, weren't they? Yeah. But what happened when we tried to implement those living standards on Russia. Like when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, there was a, again, this is the thing, right? Like democracy as a principle is a great idea, but it just, I'm really looking for examples throughout history where there has been a fucking functioning democracy. Like there's so few examples of it. Like after it collapsed, it looked like there was a democratization of Russian politics and they were trying to create a semblance of a democracy there. The reality of the situation was the US just thought, okay, we'll install Yeltsin. He'll just liberalize everything. He'll privatize fucking everything. And then living standards dropped to like absurdly bad levels. I think it was like 20 years less than it was under the Soviet Union. The hospitals didn't run anymore. Everything was privatized. Um the average, like, you know, suicide rates, death rates, everything just skyrocketed. Um, so it's like, yeah, they didn't have as good living standards as we did in the US. But as soon as they tried to implement those, that, that same system onto Russia, like, things got way, way, way worse. And I think it's also a thing of just like, dude, Russia's just a worse place than the US. Like, it just doesn't have as much farmland. It doesn't have... So I think that's a lot of it comes down to it's not whether it's um, dictatorship or or a Senate democracy. It's just the... How arable is the land? How arable is... I think all of it just comes down to land, dude. Like, this is actually what I really should be saying. Like, it's all about resource allocation. Like, put aside all these lofty ideas that you have in your head. Where are the resources going? But if you, what about if you look at America through the 20th century and the 19th century? There's just so many inventions and, you know, technological advancements that were coming purely from the West mm. and not from countries under different forms of governance. That's definitely true. And I think that is something that I will 
defend to the hilt. I think that this society gives you the leisure to sit around and come up with inventions. But let's also make this point. That's a fucking tiny portion of the population that is going to be utilizing their freedom well. And I think that both of us have very skewed examples of that because we're both ambitious guys mm-hmm. that actually do sit around and think, how can we like improve this? And and but like I think that the average person, the average person like what are they looking for? They're looking for a roof over their head. They're looking for fucking, you know, if they get sick, they can go to a hospital. They're looking for education. Yeah, but then the argument for giving the freedom to some of those people, the entrepreneurs and things, is that they, even if there is, you know, in a country of 300 million like America, if there's, say, 10,000 that are the entrepreneurial types, they're innovative and are constantly pushing technology and um, the economy forward, that it's, I'm not just making the trickle down, I'm not just saying trickle down money here, but the ideas and the inventions, they benefit everyone. They benefit the entire populace. And that's definitely true. That is absolutely true that those inventions are really the thing that carry on civilization. And that's like, for instance, why was Rome able to get to 100 million? Because someone invented aqueducts. You know? Yeah, so so wouldn't you say a society, regardless of what the system of governance is, a society that can foster the ingenuity of its best and brightest will always have an advantage over any other society? Yeah. I really do think that that's true as well. But, like, you know, you go to ancient Rome, for instance, there is no way that anyone that wasn't from the ruling class would be able to become a lawyer. They certainly wouldn't be able to become... I don't even think scientist was a profession back then, but somebody who was able to sit around and think about how the natural world worked and come up with inventions. There's no way that the average person would be able to do that. Not a chance. Like, their lives were just way mm. too oppressive by all these encumbered debts and taxes that were put on them by the by the elite class. So, what do you you've really, like, for- destroyed... I'm guessing like 99.9% of potential ingenuity. If you were going to be ingenious, you better have been born into like an an estate family. Mm. And people will make that argument today, even in America, you know, how many people from Appalachia are going to go and become Jeff Bezos. You still, some people will say you still have to be in the middle and upper classes. There's definitely a lot of rags to riches stories, Mm. but they're far and few in between. Although now I've heard that... um, the people in, I think, it, I heard this on a Sam Harris podcast. The the It's either the 1% or the 0.1% in America, one of the metrics for measuring the elite. More of them have come from the lower or middle class than ever before in history. And that makes sense. That really does. But that's because... The digital revolution. Digital really. revolution. Yeah. You don't need huge amounts of land to be wealthy anymore. You need to come up with an app. Pretty much like your buy into becoming a millionaire now is you need to be able to afford a laptop which you're given out at schools for free. Yeah, well, so that's I like, mean, dude, that's that one is good the reason of... that you are who you are today. Yeah, it's because you had that true, shit yeah. laptop that you were filming off of back a, in the that's day. That's a good point. Yeah, I need that technology, yeah. And it's just like what we were talking about in that previous comedy podcast, right, uh, about, about comedy. That little oligarchic group that controls that 
they weren't fucking thinking about that laptop. Like normally for you to get that level of exposure, can you imagine the millions of dollars that would have had to be have sunk into you or more broadly like the infrastructure for you to reach 2 million people? Think about it. It would yeah, be like know, massive yeah. major networks. It would be so much promotion. They'd have to put your face on a bunch of fucking billboards. But I attribute a lot of that to what you would call liberty because a lot of the entrepreneurs in the 80s and 90s were able to come up with um, things like social media mm. and continually improve the technology of uh, cameras and laptops and allow someone from the middle class to suddenly be able to reach millions of people without having to go through all those channels to get, you know, appease the director of a Hollywood film or, or um, you know, the head of Channel 9 here or whatever it may have been. And that's definitely true. The only thing that I can say about it, though, is that those things were developed by the U.S. military. It's just that same argument of, like, the taxes were not going into the pockets of, you know, that, that little fucking bubble that just suck up all of the tax money, right? Like, that money was going into a state-funded program that made all of the microchips available, and then maybe some private companies reassorted those microchips, so that they could get that product out, right? But like a lot of that grunt work was done by having like a, a function, a functioning enough state, okay, that you could get all of those the, the initial stuff there that would have been extremely expensive to get to, right? Like to make the microchips in the laptop, that that would be multi-billion-dollar investments that would have taken decades to get to. And you're not going to fund scientists to sit around and just be like just tinker around with microchips for thirty years. Well, some know? wouldn't. Some corporations be aren't they looking? They've got a huge R and D development wing looking at interstellar sp space exploration and always looking at the next frontiers because they know that will be profitable in in. 20, 30, 40 years, AI and, and things like that. And I know that like now this is happening because as we're saying, you don't have to have land to be extremely wealthy. That is happening now, but I think that that is a really sad indictment, A, that it took us thousands of years to get to that level to begin with, and B, that we are looking now to tech billionaires as the saviors of humanity because we have just you know, corrupted the system so much that we are just relying on a few individuals to come up with these maverick inventions instead of creating a system that kind of just fosters that naturally, you know, and like actually has directions in there that aren't just profit motivated as in just having like a properly funded NASA. I am sure a properly funded I mean, NASA could do the job better. I think a lot of it comes down to how corrupt would is the bureaucracy with if it is a, a state funded organization or if it is a private organization how corrupt are the individuals who wield power within that organization if they truly believe in the mission of nasa and want to get to the moon and then mars then i'm sure they'll put that money to good use but if they are corrupt they'll also be trying to just get enough grants and leech off the top and take what they can and buy a mansion in Houston or whatever, wherever NASA is. I don't know. But it's also the thing is what you're saying there, I guess, which is a real impinging thing is that those grants, just like they go in comedy, would just be flowing into certain projects and they'd have no control over that. They'd just be applying for the grants and sees where it goes. I suppose that is the thing that is liberating about these tech billionaires doing this. But I'm just saying like, 
you can set up society in a way that there would be more Elon Musks in a position to be doing what they're doing. Yeah, and how would you... Okay, if you if you were... If you could wave a magic wand and change, whether it's Australia or America right now, what, what would you do? I would definitely make sure that Gonski was implemented. That would be the first thing that I would be doing. Um, I'd also be restructuring the TAFE system back to not being what it is now, which is just another fucking grant give out to all these con scan artists that make subpar plumbers and then just wave it off and then get more money from the government. I would certainly be reforming that. There would be a lot that I would be doing to make sure that the population is educated because this is what's happening in Asia now as well. They're just moving ahead. As I'm always using that state, that that fact that uh, South Korea was as poor as Ethiopia at the Korean War. Now they're richer than we are. They don't have any resources. They have nothing. Korea is known as the cursed land because it has nothing. It's richer than we are. A lot of K-pop. Oh, well, there you go. And there you go. Because they created fucking a fucking art something that people wanted. Isn't corrupt. Yes. <laughs> we could have. I a- swear that's the case. Yeah, Aussie rap should be like just as worldwide renowned as K-pop, but they're never going to give one four a grand. No. They give a fuck anyway. <laughs> but it's true. Um, but it's just like I don't know. I think that. Okay, but but do you think you can? Why wouldn't a democ? Why wouldn't a functioning democracy be able to pass greater investment into education? What? Because this is the whole thing. You're just constantly trying to. Your assumption lies on the fact that everybody in the democracy is not going to corrupt it, and that it's not controlled by an oligarchy to begin with. Now, in a pure society, yeah. That could be the case. But, for instance, in Australia, that's definitely not the case. There is an oligarchy that controls this country. If there wasn't, we wouldn't be permanently destroying the Murray-Darling for the benefit of two families that want to grow cotton. You know? Like, that is not what a functioning democracy would look like. I honestly think... But this is something, actually, that Ali talks about. He says, that, like, in Pakistan, they tried to install democracies. I mean, they tried to install dictatorships, and it worked worse than the democracy did. Their democracy is terrible, obviously. It's a third-world country. It's, like, unbelievably corrupt. Uh-huh. But when they tried to put in a dictator, the country was just so ethnically diverse that they couldn't... Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get it. They couldn't get anything... Like, there was just too much rebellion. But in a place that like is okay. Australia, that's like kind of ethnically homogenous, it's a thought experiment. Oh, right now, <laughs> yeah, right now. Who knows? But okay, 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 okay. How did South Korea? What did other than K-pop? What did they do from the Korean War that worked? Dictatorship. They also sided with the U.S. Wait, what? I, South Korea is not a democracy. See, again, it's one of those things that's like, can you get out of my shot? <laughs> Cats on the table. There you go. Um, yeah, they they had a dictator after the war. Oh. The other thing was though that the US wasn't trying to oppress them internationally, which is usually the thing that fucks up all the countries. It's just the same thing always. It's like an empire, but that empire wanted Japan and South Korea to work because they wanted them as counterweights to China and North Korea. 
And so they allowed them the economic conditions to thrive. But to South Korea's credit, like he was really installing in their population, the next three generations are going to sacrifice their comfort and leisure for every generation of Koreans after that. That was just something that was installed into Korea at the time. And that's why you have the society that you have now there. So it was the culture. Well, it was the dictator. But it was a dictator dictator that was like implementing implementing that culture. And I think that like, the thing is when you have a dictator there, look, it's one corrupt guy calling the shots. Yes, he's going to make a lot of interest. Everything is going to come through through his interests. But I'm telling you, you know what's way worse? A hundred corrupt cunts that are extremely wealthy that are vying for power constantly. That's such a worse system than one guy just being like, I'm going to have a mega yacht, but uh, also I'll make a good education system as opposed to one guy just being like, as opposed to someone being like, oh yeah, we would make a good education system, but this guy makes a lot of money out of fucking privatizing education systems, so we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, I mean... I guess let me think about the incentive structure there. It's one person who controls a country versus a hundred wealthy elites. The elites may be competing amongst themselves more and therefore are less likely to look out for the underclass and the middle class, whereas the one person isn't competing with anyone necessarily, so therefore they don't need to flaunt their wealth or, or or try and outdo other elites. They just may actually have an incentive to look out, at least to some degree, for the for the common good. Is that that's what kind I, of what you're saying? That's, that's what a, I'm thinking. Like yeah. when I'm looking at all these historical examples, I see it over and over again. And then every time that I see uh, the counter-arguments to there being this one dictator, you look into it and it's kind of like, you know, Mao, for instance, it's like, yeah, 60 million people died under him. But what they don't mention is that there was just a world war that happened. And so everyone was starving and he, he had to fight like five separate wars to get into that position. So they were all total wars that led to the fact that like food production was completely decimated. And so from that position, he had to think like, fuck, how are we going to do this? So he forced everyone out onto land to farm and they didn't know how to farm. So they were going to die. So it was just like, I feel like anyone in that situation would have, there would have been like a fuckload of starvation, you know? And so maybe he was brutal and whatever, but it's not the same picture as what is sold throughout history. Mm. What I'm saying is like, at least I'm saying this, I'm saying that oligarchies, I mean, sorry, democracies are not what they're cracked up to be and dictatorships are not what they're cracked up to be. And I'm just saying it's because of the perspective that we have from our civilization. Sure. And if we were in a different civilization, we'd be looking at us and thinking, what a fucking bunch of dumbasses. And you would have all this programming in you that lasted from thousands of years that you'd be like, and here's why. And it'd be the uh, values that were instilled between from those that society yeah yeah i mean you're a product of your environment so you you know people could be living in squalor in certain societies but they think it's the best society ever because it's either due to the propaganda or they've just got an affinity to where they live yeah like it was like somebody i saw once was taking some guy out from getaway in moscow and was like he's most beautiful city in the world it looked fucked 
Yeah, it everyone's like a really fucking got... awful city. Dude, everyone, wherever they're from, is like, except Australia. When you, when you talk to people from country towns, they're like, oh, it's a fucking shithole. Yeah, they hate it. That's Whereas, true. There's there's probably like a little curve there when it's a, a really beautiful city, people will say it's a beautiful city. And then when it's average, people will say it's a shithole. And then when it's genuinely crime-ridden and full of drug mafias, they're like, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> this is where I'm from, man. Yeah, oh, I don't know. It's just like a decimated African village. This is my village. It is my home. I love it. Yeah, ex- <laughs> you hear it over and over. Oh, that's mad, dude. Yeah, that cup is pretty sick. Well, <laughs> well, well. Again, we're then comparing it to what we have, but maybe where we we maybe have material wealth, but we're so void of any uh, spiritual values and and you know cultural values or ideas greater than the self that. You know, maybe we are missing out on something that the really poor villagers do have. That's, that's the theory. Also, well, that's fact as well. Like people in the in the West report being much more dissatisfied with life than people in developing countries. Hmm. And I think that that's so, actually something that you were pointing out before when you were saying that oligarchies they're kind of just instilling their values onto life uh, onto society and putting in their laws and they're actually cunts and i think the reason that they are cunts is because they actually it's the buddhist thing if they have a lot to lose potentially yeah let me um so if if we're talking about something like education i can't imagine anyone wouldn't want the populace to be as educated as possible the issue i suppose stems from you know, how fruitful is it to over-educate someone who's just going to become a construction worker or something? You know, do, is it a waste of resources to teach them advanced calculus when by 14, 15, they could just be dropping out in year nine and, you know, learning the skills for the job? And then when you do that on a mass scale, if you push everyone into year 12 and then into university as well. Then you create this this sort of corrupt industry in itself where, you know, the universities get some government funding, but then they also rely on a lot of private funding. And, you know, they're just coming up with all these courses and trying to extend the courses so that people get these degrees that, you know, they don't, they, they shouldn't have been in higher learning anyway. They probably could have, if they're going to just work in middle management somewhere. Do you do you really need, you know, six years of tertiary education for that? Hmm. Do is there a point where you start over educating people when, you know, especially tertiary education was always for just yes, it was probably also for the wealthy, and that's a problem. And there needs to be a way to ensure that brighter, gifted people from working in middle class families are able to gain access to higher education because they could be some of the people who become the entrepreneurs and the inventors but at the same token if you push so many people into tertiary education it just devalues the education itself and and then people think oh you got a degree so what everyone has a bloody degree yeah i god i just realized how fucking uh like opposing my views are but like i really I, I talk about this all the time. I really think that university in general is a scam. 
I think that most people would do a lot better if they went to the library and just studied themselves. And then people say, oh, I learned critical thinking from there. But yeah, you can learn critical thinking from a book about critical thinking if you really wanted to. You, really you know, learn critical <laughs> thinking in universe, you know. Yeah, do you really learn courses, it? You know. Exactly. Like, okay, yeah, obviously, like if you want to be a doctor or whatever, definitely. But I'm, I'm talking really about primary school and high school because by that stage, when yeah. you look at Asian students as opposed to Australian or us students they're so much more educated than we are in fact the great example of it was i had this south korean friend um and she they are what they are they are unbelievably more educated she was in university studying economics and i said how did you go on the test and she said i aced it and i said did you study hard for it and she said i didn't study at all and i said why and she said, because we learned this in year 11. So third year uni economics is the equivalent of that fucking extension economics course that you could do in year 11 there. Yeah. So so, so with some, I don't know like what the exact um, initiatives are for education, but, you know, arguing, I suppose, from a right-wing perspective, if you're constantly trying to push up the lowest tier of people and you're spending all these resources on the kids in hardship or you know the kids that are struggling so that no child is left behind when really those resources would pay off more in the long run if you foster the gifts of the top one percent they're the ones that are going to be the inventors they're the ones that are going to be the creators and push technology forward the kid at the bottom that's struggling yeah all right you can push their iq potentially from 85 to 89 and yeah yeah sure on a mass scale in a population of 25 million that would pay dividends in the long run but to what you know to what avail are all those resources that are being used to help the the kids that are struggling when they could be you know creating academies and 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 you know, schools for the bestest and brightest of Australia and not some corrupt test as well, like truly trying to foster the brightest children in Australia and putting more resources to towards towards them because they're the ones that are going to be the creators. They're going to be the inventors. They're going to be the scientists. They're going to be the ones that move the country forward. Yeah, that's mad. But the thing is, the most intelligent 1% aren't just going to be from the ruling class. It's actually what we were talking about with the arts grants, right? Like I was just saying before that people that are in, that, that, you know, end up being those like ABC comedy types and things, they're always from elite private schools. It's just that they weren't good at rugby. They were the losers of it. So what do they do with the rest of it? They, they are, you said it yourself, right? Like we're just like, these are the fucking, they, they, they were the ones that were bullied in fucking private schools. So what do they do for the rest of their life? They just get fat off fucking grants. And why do they get those grants? Because they went to those fucking schools. They, they, they had those opportunities, yeah. right? Um, but the thing is that, you know, in Lithgow, for instance, there would be some kids that are born there that could be the next fucking they Einstein. They could be, yeah. But it, how do you best effectively find that and then foster it from a young age? Especially and, if the like mums are fucking crackhead at home or whatever. Well, it was just so evident when Gonski was implemented because the marks of kids in Lithgow went from, I think, 
uh, it was something along the lines of like maybe 30% of them getting a band five or a band six. And then it went to like 90% of the students getting a band five or a band six. What was the real difference there? It was just that they had the money there so that you could put in a couple of teacher's aides in the library that people could go to and just be like, hey, I'm, I don't know, I don't understand like how to write an essay or something. You could book time with them and they'd be like, yeah, here's how you write an essay, you know? Whereas like when you go to a private school, what happens there is usually that they have like a fuckload of teacher's aides anyway. Probably like every teacher there would probably have a bunch of fucking support staff. Mm. But on top of that, they have like private tutors that basically teach you how to game the HSC. Yeah, that happens at selective schools too. Though. No, it doesn't happen yeah. in the selective school. It happens with the tutoring, the private tutoring colleges. There's a huge industry now of just Asian kids doing that shit, trying to game the fucking selective test and the HSC test. But that's yeah. Look, when you have too much standardized testing, you're not actually what well, you need. A, you need some degree of standardized testing because you need to instill discipline and and um, repetition. And these things are laborious and they can sometimes actually, um, you know, they can be a hindrance to someone's creativity and ingenuity. But at the same time, these these are good values to instill into kids. They should be studying at least two, three hours a day. But what you also want to foster is, yes, your creativity and critical thinking, thinking outside the box. So if you've just wrote learning everything, that's just, you, you know, utilizing your memory but you're not actually see this is potentially the issue i suppose with um china who who their students may be extremely educated and and intelligent at, compared to the ages we are in the west but are they then going on to think outside the box and create the next invention and 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 and, and does that culture foster entrepreneurship well, this is what's happening now. They're, in fact, all three of those nations, Japan, South Korea, and China, are investing and have been for the last 10 years, I suppose. So I'd imagine, actually, if you look at the patents now, they're probably increasing a lot because that's, you know, it's, it's a decades-long project. But really what they were doing was getting a bunch of advisors from the US and Europe to teach them about how to make their society more creative. But they go... They're contradictory then because if you're to be creative, sometimes you have to take away those cultural restrictions of you have to study this and you have to study this for five hours a day and you have to just learn the textbook. Sometimes you need a culture that says, you know, it's it's cringeworthy, but you know, do what do a, have a little bit of freedom here and there. Yeah, sure, study really hard, but then think a bit differently. Um, Play these games. You know, play is something that we're just so far from now. Even now, the kids growing up in Western society, everything is ordered and regimented. Like, this is what you do after school, and this is when you study, and this is, you know, they need to play because that's where they're developing and fostering a lot of crit critical thinking and also social intelligence Yeah, but skills. no one's fucking playing anymore. No, well, they're playing video games. Which is the exact opposite of creativity, really. No, sure. I mean, video games offers... I think there's some evidence that shows video games actually do... You know, they, they do force you to think sometimes, whereas what's worse is just scrolling through fucking Instagram, which is... it's It turns out that young boys are playing a lot of video games... 
and young girls scrolling. are scrolling, and that's far worse. Mm. You wanna if if there's a choice between the two, yeah, Fortnite you gotta strategize a little bit, you know. No, definitely, like it's actually making a lot of different things in your mind. I don't think creativity is one of them. I think that you know. Uh, sure. You know, risk assessment and all that kind of shit is what's happening there. And like you're forcing your brain to work faster. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of play, it's really that kind of thing of you're out in the backyard, there's a stick. Mm-hmm. You've got to turn that stick into a doll because you don't have any fucking dolls. Like, that's, <laughs> that's well, where that's, creativity think, comes yeah, from. Yeah, I agree with you there. That is where creativity can come from. But sometimes you also, it's that fine balance because you need, if you're a genius, you need to be working hard and have the discipline to read as many books as you want to read and and think and be strict with uh, the adherence to whatever it is your goal is. You you need that, you know, the um, bastardized extreme of that is almost kind of what you're getting in the culture of, some aspects of Western education now, which is like, oh, no, there can't be any pressure on the kids and everyone has to come first and, you know, they can never feel bad and we always have to look out for their mental health. It's like, all right, look, no, okay, sometimes they have to have a bit of shame and they have to be told you didn't do the fucking work. Stop being a little dropkick cunt and mm. and study. Mm. Um, But it is, that, it is that fine balance, man, because, you know, having come from, I suppose, a bit more of that strict... Uh, educational attainment culture, it can stifle, it can stifle, I wouldn't necessarily say it could stifle creativity, it can stifle the development of social and emotional intelligence. That's definitely true. Yeah. Like, everything is kind of just like a, you gain in this area, you lose in this area. And I'm definitely eternally grateful for the society that I grew up in. But the thing is, like what they were saying, I read a book about geniuses years ago that was saying that the majority of geniuses come from, the vast majority of geniuses come from the lower middle class throughout history. But why did they come from the lower middle class? It was because they, they had, had hunger, they had mm. to struggle, but they weren't going to starve. You know, Ooh, whereas people good... in the fucking working class, like there was no choice. They had to start working at seven, you know? Damn. So you want to have a, a strong middle class. Yeah, that, that, that seems to be just a bastion of a good society. It's a, it's a bastion of a good society. It really is. You need a strong middle class. You want a strong middle class. But even middle class is too comfortable to generate geniuses, I suppose. But well, that's the well, whole thing. It's just like, you're right, man. Because like in Rome, there was a middle class, but it was fucking tiny. You need, a, you need some level of adversity and struggle, and that can come from I don't know, bullying and things like that, honestly. Yeah. You don't just need, it doesn't need to be financial hardship. It doesn't need to be financial hardship. You're right. Yeah, bullying it. Like that's the, the, look, there's there's disadvantages to getting rid of all this bullying and shame that we're trying to do. Mm. Sometimes a little bit of adversity can what do they say? Diamonds um are made under pressure. Mm. Is that what they say? Fuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, something yeah. Like that. No, I agree. It was actually Gavin McInnes's point. He was always just saying, like, you know, you think Bill Gates was popular at school? <laughs> it's a fine line, though, because, you know, if your kid is at school getting bullied, you're going to want to step in and stop that. If, you, if, you, if, you, if there's too much pressure, then they'll crack. But I also think that... will become a school shooter. 
Yeah, that's true as well. But I think that usually when it comes to bullying, it's kind of, it's something that you have to figure out in your mind when it comes to social dynamics of how mm. not to get bullied. I really think that a lot of it is on you. Obviously, there's the bullier, but the bullier is seeking out a certain target. And so you kind of have to create emotional intelligence and enough social intelligence to just be like, okay, I'm not going to be that guy. It forces you to develop that part of your brain. Definitely does. I mean, that's half the reason I think most comedians are comedians. Became comedians. Is because it was a reaction to bullying. They otherwise would have been at the bottom of the rung. Yeah. So, hey, I'm the class clown. I'm funny. (laughs) Yeah. Don't mock me. Don't bash me. me. Yeah, don't bash me. (laughs) But that's the whole thing, right? Like, really what is happening in that social structure in high school is they are sort of pushing into you that you need to exchange some kind of value. I really think that a lot of the people that are being bullied are the ones that are actually playing the role of victim. Like their psychology is constantly just saying to everybody else, like, now that I think back at it, the people that were bullied at my school, they were always just like this kind of thing of like, they were constantly telling on the teacher. They were constantly saying like, you know, I have a condition. Like there were those kind of people, right? And then you had other people that were not anywhere near as bullied, but they weren't the fucking popular kids or whatever. But they were offering something. They were offering something to the group. You know, whether it be good vibes, whether it be like, you know, uh, praise to the other people where it was laughs. They had some skill that amused people. Yeah, look, it is a it is a tough one, though, because if you're talking, especially if we're talking about primary school kids, relentless bullying can totally degrade a child's self-esteem to the point where they cannot recover. Oh, yeah, definitely. So like that's you need that fine line. Yeah, but I'm saying that like. And the thing is that once that that role is in there, then that's kind of just, you're just going to be repeating that role for the rest of your life. And I'm Mm. saying that when you're young, there is no way that you can sit back and be like, hmm, am I playing the victim here? You're six years old. You're not going to be thinking about that shit. But like, you know, it was definitely, when I think back at it, there was a certain psychology that was associated to people that were bullied. And I'm not saying that they were like, that they brought that psychology onto themselves, but it was a target. And if I had the hindsight and wisdom now and I was able to do high school again, dude, I reckon I would be the biggest Chad now. All, yeah. Don't I mean, you think like everyone would? If they could Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there would from, still be because like a dude, like if you have when an I'm, extra ten years of life experience and you can go back to year seven, I think any well, everyone would improve their stock. Yeah. They might, but like, again, when I'm just looking at those comedians that we hate and how they're just constantly playing the victim, yeah. your immediate thought when you look at them is like, fuck you. Like, that's your immediate thought. Yeah. Because there's just society all throughout human civilization, no one wants somebody who's just a fucking drag on the society. Yeah. Like, that you're just putting resources into and getting nothing back. Really, what people want is those, like, fair exchange things. That's what people are constantly looking for in society. Mm. I'm offering this. You're offering this. Basic bartering. But that's what I'm saying is, like, economic utility really is just an extension of that basic social interaction of, like, you know, I'm offering being funny. You're offering the fact that you're able to talk to chicks. Let's hang out. You know? 
Yeah, it's our grooming. Kind of. That's what the chimps do all day. Groom it's grooming. Each other. Mm. You're right. Mm. Offer resources to each other. But we're offering social and emotional. Yeah. Wow. It is. There, there was a little economy going on at your high school, wasn't there? Well, there would have been, yeah. Because there was also status being exchanged mm. in a weird way. Status was being exchanged. Hey, I can bring you into this popular group. What are you offering? Really, that's what's happening. Mm. You want to get invited to the parties? Mm. Uh, are you good looking? Do you have access to booze? Yeah. Are you yeah. good looking? Are you fun? Are you are fun? Gonna, are you going to improve our group's position or are you going to be a hindrance to the group? Mm. Yeah, and all of this was unset. This is this is all the subtext. Yeah. That you just really weren't... You're like vaguely, vaguely conscious of it at the time. Mm. Well, dictatorships, eh? Yeah, that was weird. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. But it's just that tie-in, I guess. It's just like, look, all I'm saying is, yeah, I, I hate doll bludgers as much as the next man. <coughs> I just really think that as we're discovering more and more, there's, there's doll bludgers in every strata, not just the bottom. There's doll yep. bludgers at the bottom, and then there's the doll bludgers in the middle class that we were talking about then that just get all your fucking arts grants. And then there's doll bludgers at the top that get all these like laws changed to increase their wealth. Yeah. You know? I think that's what we're really saying here. And like, I think that really what is happening in an oligarchy is it's a society run by doll bludgers. Well, do you think all of the oligarchy are doll bludgers or do you think there's in every strata, as you say, maybe 10% of people are just lazy? Or not necessarily lazy, but they're just not, they don't have that effective bartering properties that we were just talking about. They have nothing to really offer. Yeah, that's true. There's smarter ones amongst them. But look, even when you're looking at the people that were part of the oligarchy in ancient Rome, who's the one that's most remembered by society? It's Cicero. And Cicero did not come from a rich family. He kind of, because of his talents, went into the oligarchy. But the thing is, like, just how there's like six generations of doll bludgers in Australia, and that sixth generation guy is fucked because like his granddad was fucking leeching off the doll and his great granddad was leeching off the doll. It's the same thing that happens when you go to uh, an oligarchy. Like if, if your great-great-grandfather was just rich because his great-great-grandfather owned land, how much incentive do you think there is to develop your mind? Like something, for instance, like Julius Caesar saying, hey, how about we divert the Tiber? That would be just as beneficial to the elites as it would be the bottom, but none of them fucking thought of it. Because they're all just lazy, dull-bludger minds. Entitled. You've had six generations of not having to um, face adversity. Don't you think? You'd be a very mushy happens. mind. Even after a couple of generations, one generation you're mushy. The thing is they'd probably have access to the best education and they'd have a certain inbuilt confidence. But then, but then aren't, weren't you saying that a monarchy could even be better than an oligarchy? And a monarchy would just be generation after generation of people who have been born into the most privileged and wealthiest position as possible. Fuck, now that you mentioned that, dude, you're right. I think actually a lot of it is just 
it's it's the entitlement that is associated with the oligarchy because you're right a monarchy is sort of a dictatorship but it's just an inherited dictatorship but you look at all the dictators that really skyrocketed people's um living standards and made the nation way more of a main player than it was before they came they're, they're from yeah working class lower middle class and like Julius Caesar, for instance, okay, mm. he came from the aristocracy. He was from the lower end of the aristocracy, but because Sulla was there and almost killed him, he had to fucking go into the military, right? He had to see what it was like for working people. He had to see vets go out, fight wars in foreign lands, come back, and then their land be taken by some fucking estate guy that was just like, your land defaulted while you were gone, and then they'd be homeless, you know? Like he saw that shit happen. Right. So he he was an intelligent man that faced adversity in life. So that's the true marker of a genius. Intelligence with adversity. With with the right amount of adversity. The right amount of adversity. Enough to overcome. Mm. And then you want to try and foster the conditions for as many children in a given society to achieve that level of genius that they could be capable of. Yeah, that's really what you want. And then you want to ensure that there's a culture in place within the society that 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 those geniuses who maybe do attain economic power are still invested in the betterment of the lives of day-to-day people and they're not just looking out for themselves then. That's the ideal. That's what you want. You want somebody... In fact, actually, it's something that Hitler said in his book. and But it's just, he's so right about it, though. He's yeah, just that'll like, get, this is going to get clipped out for sure. Damn. But he definitely fucking said it. He said that, like, if you want to rule a society, you have to know how the working class think and you have to know how the ruling class think. You have to have been in both of those stratas. Don't you think that makes so much more sense than... It's even the thing yeah. that you're talking... Like, even if you're looking at it in the, the paradigm of comedy, they are in that strata. They don't go out of it. So they are just... They have this really annoying inbred thinking to people like us that didn't grow up in that fucking environment. Mm. And they just don't see it because they've never been out of it. Ever. In their mm. lives. Mm. And But, like, you know, that's just the comedy scene. If you have the reins of power, you're the one pulling the levers of how society functions. And you're like six generations into that. Can you imagine how inbred your thoughts would be? Like, again, just the fact that like Julius Caesar was able to like Mm. trounce them in debates. It had never occurred to any of them to even argue using facts. How do you you then... It's just because I, I know we always talk about the, him, but someone like Trump who did come from a very elite background mm. but managed to, you know, appeal to the working people like no one had in American politics for a very long time. Mm. What Was it because he was dealing with, you know, New York businessmen and just sort of knew... He knew about marketing and and sort of reality TV and didn't just exist in that bubble of the elite oligarchy. Well, yeah, he was bringing all this technology that was completely foreign to Washington, wasn't it? Like show business. Yeah. Washington is the exact opposite of show business. Well, Reagan was an actor. 
true. But look at him go, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he fucking trounced it twice. Yeah, that's true. One yeah. of the most popular pre- pre- presidents they've ever had. Uh, I think that he was also, like you were saying, I think that because he dealt with a lot of construction workers and stuff, don't you think that he just did have this kind of blue-collar gait about him? Because he would have been around a lot of construction sites and just been like, why isn't this built yet? And they just like, because I've said sex with your mom last night. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there would have been a lot of that <laughs> shit. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Whereas, like, anyone in Washington... Eat my fucking asshole, Mr. Trump. <laughs> hey, Tony, you come here. You come down here and say that. To? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Donald Trump. So, that I swear that's what's <laughs> yeah, happening that's there. Yeah, Hillary Clinton was not conversing with people in that way. <laughs> no fucking chance. That's what you want. You want someone who can... Like what you just said. Someone. The problem with Trump was he couldn't really converse with the elites. Apparently, he always, apparently, um, he always sort of yearned for their, for their love and for, for to be accepted by the elites. So even though he was a billionaire, he was always sort of the joke of the billionaires, and they took him a little bit more seriously when he became the president. But they still kind of didn't like him personally because he's. I can't imagine he's the sort of guy that can converse with. Some hyper-educated, you know, scholar from the elite 1%. Not a chance. No. I mean, he'd just talk to them about the, like, kids they fucked on Epstein's Island. But that would be as far as the conversation would go. Because then the other elite would be like, and as the levers of power are continually transforming, I believe that we can, you know, have a stake in the Middle East. And Trump would be like, yeah, and that... That 15-year-old's ass, so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I imagine the elites talk. I don't know. Dude, you know what? I'm going to marry her. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just finish on this one. Here's a little fucking Easter egg for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the people that I know now, I know someone who knew Epstein... I know someone who knows someone who knew Epstein. Dude, he was saying, that, like, obviously the first question was, did he kill himself? He was just like, not a fucking chance. There was no way that guy could kill himself. That prison was designed to stop people from killing themselves. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it, 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 there's just too many coincidences there. Yeah. And he was saying the, the way that the, the reason that... It, like, again, I can't confirm this because this is a friend of a friend of a friend, but like, no, a friend of a friend. Um, he was saying the reason that he was uh, in the position that he was is because he was an agent. For Israel? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that theory. Yeah, he was trying to get um, dirt on as many American politicians and business people as possible so that Israel could always be in their pocket. Dude, I don't know, this guy, he is a fixer. That's his job. He knew the fucking guy. He was just saying that... uh, And the the major tactic that they were using in terms of pedophilia was always get a chick that was sort of like borderline almost legal so you could mistake them for being like 19 or 20. Mm. So when there was just this like island of pedophilia, 
not really. Like they, the he was saying that the leaders that were having sex with them were under the impression that they were older, and then afterwards he just like look at his birth certificate. It'd be a shame if that came out, wouldn't it? You know. That's <laughs> 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 evil. It's fucking evil. Oh. But anyway, that was his theory, so I can't confirm or deny. I've d- I've heard that one before. Right. Well, yeah. like, man, I don't know. It makes sense. This guy's like, I, I really do trust that this guy knows. He would. He's just like an international player, you know? And the guy that he's talking to that I can't, like, disclose a name of, but he's got, like, a kind of similar job. He's sort of an economic hit, man. Damn. Conversing with some big players. But anyway, yeah, that's it was interesting to hear that. I don't know. Again, that's my theory. Because some other guy said it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I hope you enjoyed that one. All right. That was a good one. Yeah, they both were. See you next time. See you guys.